the Dawn of the Dead podcast is now part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network. So please check out the website and also all the other great podcasts that are associated with this network. On to the show. Again, and welcome back to another episode. Um, it is finally October, or at least um, at the time that this is dropping, it's October. And I decided, in my infinite horror nerd wisdom, <laughs> to have a Blacktober. And I know that's weird, right? Blacktober, what is that? It's exactly what it sounds like. So I am choosing to showcase and review films that have folks that look a lot like yours truly. Um, Now, just to let you know, spoilers will be rampant. So if you haven't seen the movie that I'm gonna be discussing on these Blacktober episodes, by all means, skip them because I never like spoiling it. I'm not one of those assholes that likes to spoil things for people. But a lot of these movies um, have been out either, you know, 40 plus years (laughs) or uh, they're movies that have been out at least a year. Um, I think I only have one on this list that I'm going to be covering that just came out recently this year. So, you know, most of them are pretty old, but they won't all be black exploitation films. Some are going to be new. And, you know, like I stated, one one in particular came out this year and I was patiently waiting for the writer's strike to be over. I think the actor's strike is still ongoing at the time that I'm recording this, but just waited for the um, writer's strike to end because I really didn't want to talk about it until then. And also I wanted to wait a while to see if, you know, people could watch it before I, you know, start divulging into it. That's not on this episode. I'm giving way more exposition than I need to, but that's fine. Just giving you a heads up. They're going to be fucking spoilers. Just saying. So they won't all be black exploitation films. I consider them black exploitation films, but some will be new. And um, in my humble horror nerd opinion, all of these films that I'm going to be talking for Blacktober are classic horror movies. Even the ones that are new, I consider them classics. And I think they will be classics in the years to come. Or as I like to call them sometimes, the classics, you know, just black classics. So I was sitting here and I was like, you know, there's some movies that I really, really want to talk about for, you know, October, because I watch horror movies year fucking round. You know, October is just the time in the month that I get a little nutty about it. And I just watch him constantly, much to my husband's chagrin. He is so over the horror. (laughs) He's just, he's done. He'll watch them with me with, you know, some relish. And there are a few that he really, really enjoys. So I always try to 
knock those out first in October because I know he'll, you know, he'll be focused and he'll watch them. And then, you know, then when I start getting really into the deep dives, he's just like fucking them out. <laughs> so, but that's okay. It's not for everybody. But I was just thinking, what better film to to start off and kick off this Blacktober? Then starting with an actual black exploitation classic. Um, and I'm going to be talking about on this episode, one of my all time fucking favorites, Sugar Hill. Now, Sugar Hill came out in 1974. It's been a moment. So I am going to be kind of dissecting and reviewing this film. If you haven't seen it, click the stop. Go watch it. And I'm going to tell you where it's streaming currently. You know, depending on when you listen to this, it may not be on that streaming service. You can always just do your Googles, as I like to tell you. But currently, it is streaming on Prime Video for free and Pluto TV for free. I'm not getting any paid endorsements. I'm just letting you know where you can watch the goddamn movie, okay? Just just do what I say. Be a good person. <laughs> listen to Donna. And go watch it, because I'm going to tell you, this is one of my absolute favorites to watch, no matter what time of year, but especially in fucking October. So I love this one because it's a really a great horror revenge tale. And, you know, if you've seen The Crow, Eric Draven comes back, gets revenge on all of the people that did him and his fiance wrong. And then, you know, goes, God, I'm spoiling the crow for anybody who hasn't seen it. You've seen the fucking crow. I'm just going to I'm going to leave that out there. I know you've seen it. Same premise, except only one half of the couple uh, dies. So it's a great horror revenge tale. It's got a gorgeous femme fatale, killer zombies who do her bidding throughout this movie. And then we also get Baron, is it Baron Samedi or Baron Samedi? Baron Samedi? I'll just say Samedi. I'll probably just call him Baron because I don't want to butcher his name. Um, can you tell that I'm not really into voodoo much? But anyway, he is the voodoo lord of the dead. And he actually helps assist her with her revenge on, on the uh, group of people that she's wanting to dole out their uh, punishment. So... This movie, and I'm telling you, it is a fucking banger. love saying that because it's fucking true. This movie kind of starts out, uh, unfortunately, in a kind of cheesy opener, at least to me when I watch it. Sometimes I'm, I find myself being like, oh, geez. Uh, but... It starts out with a really catchy song that's called Supernatural Voodoo Woman, and it's performed by the uh, a group called The Originals. And I'm going to sing a little bit of it because you know me, I'm a big ham, and I will just sing it. And it's like, Supernatural Voodoo Woman. And for whatever reason, I fucking love this song. Like, I could groove to this shit all day. <laughs> it makes no sense, but I love it. And it's real catchy, and as the credits are rolling, we see like a, a voodoo type ritual that's going on while all of the credits are going on screen and there's a crowd watching and it looks really authentic like you know somebody is getting possessed and you see them writhing in the dirt and they're doing all of this fancy stuff and there's 
tiki torches and, you know, all of the usual tropes that we see with voodoo. And then we see that actually it was just a show that was put on for um, this club owned by a character named Langston. And that's like a selling point of his club, of his nightclub. They have like this voodoo act that goes on. Now, one thing I will say about the 70s and sometimes in the 80s, when we see Black folks on screen, apparently we are all very well versed and heavily into voodoo. I said that and y'all can't see me, but my eyes are just rolling in the back of my head because it's like, that's all that they assume that Black people could do in the 70s or in the 80s. And it's a trope we see a lot. Uh, we see it in Sugar Hill. Uh, there's a movie called The House on Skull Mountain. Uh, voodoo plays a big deal in that one. And that one has the most Scooby-Doo, <laughs> Scooby-Doo-esque plot and reveal in The House on Skull Mountain. And then obviously, you know, we see it in other movies that aren't horror. Um, we see it in Live and Let Die. You know, the very first time we see Roger Moore, he's fighting Yafet Kodo and there's voodoo involved in that. And I think, well, some of you, most of you are probably too young to remember, but there's a guy in, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was a voodoo priest in Live and Let Die. And then he ended up doing all of these seven up commercials when I was growing up and he would have this like really booming laughter. Um, he also was in Boomerang, which was an Eddie Murphy comedy, but I'm getting off track. Jeez, y'all got to rail me back in. So voodoo is a it's huge selling point for this club. It's nightclub. It's entertainment. They're putting on basically dinner theater at this point. And I'm fine with that because that's all it was to begin with. I'm just, just throwing this out there. Um, so we see that Langston runs this club. It's clearly pretty popular because the, the place is packed. Um, his girlfriend, Diana Sugar Hill is gorgeous. Uh, you know, he goes up to his girlfriend, Sugar, and my God, what can I say about this actress? Marky Bay is a babe. I mean, just drop dead, caramel complexion goddess. Really, when I watch this movie, I get so angry because for the 70s, she should have been a megawatt star. And for whatever reason, she just wasn't. And when you watch her in, in this film, you really do feel like, well, shit, you know, she's gorgeous. She can act, you know, she has a lot of swagger and attitude and sexiness. I mean, she is just drop dead sexy. And I thought, why did they not utilize this woman like they should have, you know, she could have been really, really huge, at least in my opinion, this is when I need a time machine to like <laughs> go back, bring these people, you know, when they're in their prime and then, you know, let them shine like the biggest, brightest diamonds that they are. She was in a few films um, and she was in a lot of TV shows, uh, but in this film in Sugar Hill, Marky Bay really, really shines. I mean, she is just, she's gorgeous you know, she's compelling and I can't stop watching her performance. And, you know, some people may think it's a, a hammy or cheesy performance. I, I didn't see that. I felt very much like she was selling the character of Sugar Hill that she was playing. 
so now that I've gushed about her, um, so we see as Langston is, you know, kind of chatting with Sugar, we get a, a gang of, I guess, enforcers or thugs or criminals, however you want to name it, bad mofos. Let's just do that. A gang of bad mofos show up. And they basically are leaning on him to buy his club. You know, they're really putting a lot of heavy pressure and he's not wanting to sell. You know, he knows this club is is doing well and this is something that's his and you know, he's not going to be intimidated by these people to give up what's rightfully his. And I thought, damn, you are ballsy, dude. God bless you. And I understand. So, you know, he basically tells them, go fuck yourself, you know, go kick rocks or whatever. And they leave. And he decides, I think at the wrong moment, he has to go and do something. I don't know whether he went to go pick something up for the club, but Anyhow, as he goes into the parking lot, they, you know, really just straight up murdered this guy in his parking lot. And I'm, I need to backtrack a little bit. So Sugar is a little fearful about it because she sees that they're, you know, being very heavy on him and they're, they're being very threatening. And she's so worried that something bad is going to happen to him. And of course, Langston is like, oh, nothing's going to happen. They just talk a good talk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they do more than talk. And so when they kill him, they leave him right outside of his club. And poor Sugar finds him and she cries and she is wailing. And I felt so bad, you know, um, it's, it was a, it happened so fast. It's like, we see him, we see the club, we see how popular it is and boom, he's dead. So, you know, I guess it has to move that way in order for us to get to the horror revenge plot of our story. But I wish we could have seen him a little longer and seen their relationship a little bit more. I think that's the only kind of, not nitpicky, but that's the only thing that kind of bothers me is that we didn't really get to see. We saw that they were committed and that they loved each other, but I would have loved to seen a, a, to see a little bit more of their romance and a little bit more of their life together before they kind of just snuff him out. So when they kill him, Sugar finds him, she's crying. And now we are at the start of a really, really good revenge flick. Like, I'm like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. So we cut to the uh, bad mofos talking a lot of shit and they're with their boss, Morgan, and basically you know they're all just like it was just a regular day in the hood you know they don't give a shit uh there's one lone uh african-american gang member and i have to mention him because this brother's name is fabulous <laughs> and i i love nicknames in movies i i think i love them more than the real names of people and fabulous is just the best goddamn thug name i could possibly think I know there's a rapper named fabulous fabulous but fabulous you know it's like calling a grown man delicious like what's up fabulous you know it, it boggles my mind and I know people who have these nicknames so to me that just it felt kind of real <laughs> just because there's always that one person that's got some weird ass nickname but everybody's fine with it I would tell you guys my nickname but 
I don't want anybody calling me that, so I'm just gonna keep that to myself. I got you intrigued now. I better get a bunch of people asking me, well, what's your nickname? I'm not telling. So after they all just kind of sit there and talk shit about how they're gonna end up owning the club because you know his girlfriend's gonna be too scared. She's not gonna she's gotta sell. She's not gonna wanna keep that after he got murdered. And I'm just sitting here like, I cannot wait until this woman gives you exactly what's coming to you. And she does, and it's glorious. And I, I'm getting a little giddy about it. So we cut to Sugar and she's, uh, I don't know whether she's in a restaurant or she was just at a club or at the club, but her old boyfriend, uh, Lieutenant Valentine, which I love that name, he comes to visit her and he wants to know if she remembers anything or anyone pertaining to the investigation. And of course, she's going to reply, well, if I know who did it, I would take care of them myself. She knows exactly who fucking did it, but she's not going to let on to him. And let me just interject. And I'm already interjecting before I get to the meat of the story. But Lieutenant Valentine is played by Richard Lawson. And I had the biggest crush on Richard Lawson. I actually went over this crush that I had when I talked about him when I did my Poltergeist episode, when I reviewed that movie. So I've already spoiled it, but Richard Lawson is gorgeous in this movie. He's just the most handsome man I could ever possibly see. I have a huge crush on this man to this day. And, uh, I love this character of Valentine because he, one, is so impeccably dressed. Like, he looks like he's going out to the club every scene that we see him in, and I am here for all of that shit. Not only to mention, he has the neatest and tightest fucking afro I've ever seen, and the mutton chops. No hair is out of place. He definitely uses Afrosheen and Afrosheen products at that time because that hair looked gorgeous. It was like cotton candy. I wanted to just dive into that thing, okay? But the great thing about Richard Lawson, he is absolutely not a stranger to horror films because he was actually in Scream, Blackula Scream, um, he's been in Audrey Rose, and most people remember him as the parapsychologist Ryan in Poltergeist, as I aforementioned. And in Poltergeist, when I saw him and his little Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters mustache, you could not tell me that I was not going to be a parapsychologist. Like, what? I get to sit here and record ghosts and visit people's homes and as long as they don't attach themselves to me and visit me at my home, I could do this. How much money does this brother make? I want to know. I need the details. So when I saw him in Poltergeist, I was like, absolutely, this is going to be my career. I want to be a parapsychologist and I want to, I want to check out the, uh, you know, the haunted places. Um, and I also love him in Poltergeist because he has one of my favorite, favorite lines in that film. So I know I'm talking about Sugar Hill, but I do have to stick the Richard Lawson in there. So he always seems to always have my favorite lines and scream, Blackula scream. He realizes that he's a vampire and he can't see his reflection. And so he's all, you know, like really 
finely dressed and he's like, you know, singing this little ditty and he's wanting to look at himself in the mirror and he's like, ah. you know, and I'm like, dude, you're a vampire. You don't have a reflection. He's like, a, a man has got to see himself. That's my favorite line from him in Scream, Blackula Scream. My favorite line from him in Poltergeist is when they're trying to save Carol Ann and they do that whole thing where they throw the rope through the other side of the portal and then they throw the tennis ball and he catches it. He catches the tennis ball on the other side and he goes, kiss my ass. <laughs> and it makes me laugh. It cracks me up every fucking time, y'all. I absolutely love it. I might have to go and watch that and cue that up after I talk about this because I absolutely love that movie. And he just slays when he's in that that scene. It just, I love it. So we see him trying to kind of, you know, let her know, well, if you think of somebody, you know, let me know. And I forgot to mention, Valentine is actually her her ex-boyfriend. So, you know, of course he still has a little thing for her, but he also wants to make certain that she's, you know, safe and doesn't put herself in harm's way with Morgan and all of the people. Because apparently he is a big player and they know that, you know, he will dispatch people clearly. He killed your boyfriend. He has no qualms about killing you and you're a woman. So, so we cut to uh, Sugar going to visit Mama Matrice and Mama Matrice is a voodoo queen. She she knows her shit. And she's also allegedly 100 years old. She looks pretty good for an old lady. I'm, I'm just saying. I would love to age that gracefully. You know, Mona Lisa's falling apart. I get, I get a little bit of gray and things aren't as perky as they used to be. But that's okay because I'm still breathing. Um, but Mama Matrice just, you know, she looks good and she's pretty spry for somebody who's going to be 100 years old. And if you've ever seen the Jefferson, she's George Jefferson's mom on that sitcom. So it was nice seeing her in something other than the Jeffersons. I didn't even know that she acted. I had no clue till I saw this movie. So, um, so she visits Mama Matrice and she needs her help to contact Baron Samedi. And once again, I'm just going to call him Baron because I'm probably fucking up his name. I always want to say Baron Samadhi, but I feel like that's wrong too. So Baron. <laughs> and uh, what's so great about it is that she wants to contact him purely to get revenge on the men who killed Langston. And rightfully fucking so. I would do the shit if I knew how to do it. Well, maybe not. I don't know if I want to contact somebody that's, you know, Lord of the Dead. But when they contact him, you know, he comes out and he has his bride set aside and Mama Matrice makes the statement and she's like, well, you know, he's a good lover. And I thought, gross, <laughs> TMI. But then I, you know, I was thinking, well, shit, I don't know if that's TMI. You know, what all does he do? What kind of supernatural stuff are we talking about? You know, just, just saying, I mean, she said it was good. It might, it must be, it must be worth talking about. Um, going off on a weird, weird places here today, this episode. But anyway, they talk about it and, you know, they kind of make a deal and he basically wants to know what he'll get in return from Sugar. And, you know, Sugar's like, well, you can have my soul. And he's like, well, I don't want that. You know, I, I need, I need something else. The man's got three brides, you know, he, clearly wants to try a little something new. And um, they figure out a way to strike up a deal. 
you know, and then he proceeds to awake his army of the dead. And what I absolutely love, and you will hear me say this multiple times on this episode, but what I absolutely love about this, this movie and the look of the zombies is they give them that total retro look in their makeup. They look like all of the old zombies that we used to see in like the 30s and 40s films, you know, and they've got silver eyes and their bodies all covered in dust and they've got cobwebs, covered skin. And, you know, it looks really cool. Not a whole lot of horror movies can pull off a great zombie look. You know, when you see uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 78, that's my favorite zombie movie of all time. When you see that one, you know, the zombies look kind of ashy and gray, um, especially the African-American ones. They just don't know how to do the skin tone right. And so when I saw this, I was like, man, this looks really good. You know, some people might say it looks like Party City shit. I absolutely love it. But you get to see how great it looks on their skin and how they're coming out of the grave and they've got all these shackles because they were slaves that used to be, that were buried there. You know, they killed them and they buried them there. So, you know, it's got a lot of uh, racial components in it. And I just like the way that they look and the way that they move. You know, they're not moving like super fast Zack Snyder zombies, but they're not moving quite like Night of the Living Dead zombies either, where it's like taking them an eternity to get there. They're kind of just walking like normal folk, which I actually enjoy that, um, despite the rigor mortis and, you know, rotting limbs and whatnot. So now it's on, you know, we get the Baron, we get Mama Matrice, we get Sugar, we got the zombies, we got we got the band back together like it's they're, they're all back together now so we're we're moving forward with our now revenge plot and man i'm telling you i was i was head over heels when i saw this um i trying to remember how old i was when i saw this but um it's it's kind of slipping i want to think maybe i was in my teens because you know black exploitation was a huge staple in my house, um, especially black exploitation horror films. So yeah, I want to say maybe I was a, a teenager when I saw this. So I was over the moon just seeing zombies in the state and kind of seeing how, how the plan all kind of formulated together to get back at these people. So we're going to move on to the very first victim that we see on screen and it's a guy and i don't have any of these band of mofo people's name other than fabulous just because that name just stood the fuck out fabulous i love it so this guy is basically berating um one of the workers on the dock and you know very racially i may add and basically these uh, dock workers have to pay him in order to have a work day you know they're all crooks of the highest level. And I think at one point he even slaps one of the gentlemen or boxes one of the gentlemen in the face. And so they proceed to pay this guy and he walks off thinking all is right with the world. And as soon as he goes into a warehouse, uh, Sugar confronts him and she is wearing the most badassery of clothes. <laughs> so she's wearing an in my opinion, a very iconic white jumpsuit and it's got red trim, you know, she's got a little bit of cleavage showing and it's, 
she just looks amazing and she's got like a real puffed out afro and she is just in her element and all about her shit and basically you know he makes some kind of you know sexist remarks and tries to come at her like he's gonna do something and then out of the shadows here come the zombies and they proceed to tear him apart now everything is off screen we don't see any like real gore that's the only other complaint I have. I wish we could have seen more of the gore, but they did what they did with the budget that they had. This movie, I think, might have had a budget of $300,000. So, you know, you do what you can do with what you got. And they just proceed to tear him from limb, limb from limb, and you hear him screaming, and she's just glowing because she knows this is number one on the list. And the first one down, and she is gleeful as fuck and I am gleeful with her and so of course Lieutenant Valentine is the one on the scene and they find bits of the bad guy here bits of the bad guy there and then we see his head they have just ripped this man's head from his body and it is sitting on some warehouse supply stuff man and you see some blood you see like a pool of blood when I saw that I was like oh my god they killed that dude <laughs> yes Donna that was the plan they were supposed to kill him you know um and then it, it gets a lot fun. That was the first kill. And that was like, okay, I, I can see where this is going. But man, the next ones are so, so fucking good. So then we cut to uh, Lieutenant Valentine talking with this coroner. And basically the coroner is telling Valentine that he found on the victim's skin some mold in some very old skin which means he was killed by someone who wasn't even alive. And Valentine isn't buying it. He's like, yeah, you must have made a mistake. You know, that's ridiculous. That doesn't even make sense. And then we cut to the head of the crime family, Morgan, and he's invited Sugar over to his place to talk about taking over the club. And Sugar informs him that the club was left to her in Langston's will and kind of gives him the idea that you know, she would be interested in selling because, you know, she, it, it's kind of left a bad taste in her mouth. She doesn't really want to have it. It's a terrible reminder of what she lost. And, you know, she kind of just plays them out like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and, you know, sell it to you, I guess, you know, so that you you can do what you want with it. You know, it's not worth me dying over. You know, she's playing the real kind of submissive role with this guy. And of course, he's buying it. And then he makes a remark about, you know, say what you will about Langston, but, you know, he definitely knew about class because she's got a lot of class, you know, and clearly he's got some little puppy dog crush on her. I mean, it's Marky fucking Bay. Who wouldn't? She's gorgeous as hell. And he has some little flunky girlfriend named Celeste. And Celeste is like, what are you, why are you talking about her like that? You know? And he's like, well, you could, you, you could use a little of what she's got. You know, because the way that Sugar carries herself, she's very poised and very intelligent. And, you know, she's very self-assured and confident. And that shit is sexy. It's like fucking catnip, right? So why wouldn't he be inf infatuated with her? And then, you know, of course, a part of him in the back of his head and his little head that he's thinking with between his legs, he's thinking, oh, well, you know, I could have any woman. I'm, I'm rich and powerful and she's not going to say no. Well, yeah, she's going to say no. She's going to do a lot more to say no. So once he tells his girlfriend that 
Sugar has class, Celeste gets pissed. Like that comment just completely irked her because, you know, why would he find this this black woman attractive or think that she has something better than she has? And so it gets to her. It gets to this literal Karen. <laughs> I'm gonna get so much heat for that comment. But it gets to her so much that she has to follow Sugar to a an actual bar to make like really shitty comments to her and you know obviously racial stuff that I will not even bother to say she drops the n-word and tells her that she's uppity and you know sugar's not having any of that and she's like well you think you think you're better than me you you know you're all uppity and she's like if I wanted to be better than you I'd have to stoop down in the gutter I was just like, holy shit, this bitch snapped on you. Like, you have no idea. You just got roasted like a third degree burn by her saying that you were just nothing but trash. And then, of course, we have a good old fashioned cat fight. And Celeste plays dirty and tries to break a, a liquor bottle to, you know, cut sugar with. And sugar evades her and basically knocks this bitch on her back. And it was a great little, you know, 20, 30 second fight scene. It was very poorly choreographed, but I do relish it when I watch it. For whatever reason, the bartender hands Sugar a bucket of ice and she throws it on Celeste, you know, to cool her, basically to cool her off, I guess, because the, uh, the fight was over at that point, you know? And so we then see our next victim kind of, I guess, uh, shaking down a, a guy for payment, you know, because if they're a mob family or a crime family or whatever the fuck they are, you know, people have to pay them for protection. And so he's basically shaking this guy down for some money. Uh, the guy doesn't have it. And, you know, he's basically telling him, yeah, you better have it the next time I come around or else this isn't going to end well for you. And then the Baron shows up as a taxi driver. But instead of taking him to the place that he wanted to go, he takes him in the middle of nowhere in a field and Sugar is waiting once again in the drop dead gorgeous white jumpsuit with the red trim. I'm going to probably have to say this every time she shows up because that shit is badass. I need to lose a little belly if I want to get into one of those. And plus jumpsuits aren't that good when you want to go to the bathroom because you got to take all of that shit off and you're basically sitting there starkers with everything hanging out. But it's worth it, right? If you look good. I'm assuming I, I would not know, but uh, Sugar is there and she's waiting on him and it's delicious because the Baron is there and he's basically taking him in the middle of the field and Baron's walking behind this gentleman. And then when he turns around, it's just like a scarecrow with the same clothes on that the Baron had, <laughs> just so funny. It's almost like Looney Tunes-esque when he does that, the look on this guy's face. And uh, when they get there, uh, Sugar is waiting, very cool, uh, in the jumpsuit. And she's once again holding the shackles. And her, the zombies, they pop out of nowhere. And they drop him in a pen with a bunch of pigs to be eaten. And once again, we don't see any of it, but we hear him screaming, the screams of anguish and all of this you know, hollering and whatnot. And you can hear the pigs kind of running around or whatever. And I got to say, man, the guy who plays Baron Samedi, he is played by uh, Don Pedro Colley. And 
you can tell he is enjoying the fuck out of this role. Like the laughter and the glee in his eyes, it, it looks like he really just had a good time. It's almost like when you watch um, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight and you see Billy Zane and he's just like hamming the fuck out of this role because he clearly enjoyed it. It was just, I get so much glee when people enjoy the role that they're in and you can tell how much they enjoy it by the way that they portray it, how it comes across. And Don Pedro Polly is really having a ball. Like he really is just chewing up every scene that he's in. And I'm there for that shit as well. I'm loving all of that. So after this gentleman dies, and I say gentlemen, but you know, they're scum of the earth, you know, that's really what they are. <laughs> they're not really gentlemen. They're kind of the scum of the earth. But then after this guy dies, you know, Valentine goes to visit Sugar and the one thing I forgot to say, along with being beautiful and intelligent and, you know, classy and poised, she also is a, a person who has her own business. She's a photographer. She's a photographer for fashion magazine. And so, you know, that says a lot about Black women. <laughs> this is where I get silly. It says a lot about Black women. We can, you know, take care of the homes and then we can have our jobs. We work our jobs, right? You do your whole 40 hours a week business. And then, you know, when when that time is over and after you've gotten everything ready for the family, you go and you talk to the blue Lord of the dead, you raise some zombies and you get a little revenge. I mean, we, we do a lot in a, a full day. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I think that's most women in this movie. It just happens to be an African-American woman. and. You know, we, we do a lot. We have a lot of hats that we wear. <laughs> I just had to be silly for a minute. But it does say a lot, you know. She manages to keep her business. She's, you know, keeping an eye on her, her now deceased fiance's business of the club. She's reaching out to the Lord of the Dead. I mean, she's she's out here doing it, being a, being a boss bitch. <laughs> so... Now that I'm done being silly, let me get back to it. So, uh, you know, Valentine goes to visit her and he's like, are you sure you don't know anything about the murders? Because if you do, you need to come clean about this with me. I can help you if you want to come clean about it. And she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And then he gives her, you know, the little, well, you know, Morgan isn't somebody you should play around with. So if you know anything you you need to let me know and i know that you can take care of yourself and i know you can do anything you put your mind to but you need to be careful and sugar's like i i will but i i don't know what you're talking about you know she's all like doe-eyed and i i have no idea what you are talking about sir bitch you know <laughs> we know you know but that's okay valentine doesn't know he needs to stay in the dark anyway plausible deniability that's what she's giving him so after that, we see our next victim is uh, met in a pool hall and Sugar confronts him in the pool hall and they she brings him back, I'm assuming to her place, and the Baron joins her. And it's, once again, <laughs> the guy playing the Baron, he's really a treat, um, you know, because it's like he pops up in the background or, you know, he's like a various player in the part of the revenge. 
And in these scenes, it's almost like a, a voodoo, where's Waldo, you know? Like, where's Baron? <laughs> I keep waiting for him to pop up and something. Because in the first gentleman, when they're on the docks, he's wearing a hard hat, you know, like he's one of the workers. And then uh, the one gentleman, the second gentleman that was the victim, he was a taxi driver. And then this one, he's just one of the people in the pool hall playing pool. And it just cracks me up. I love the fact that along with, um, you know, being the Lord of the Dead, I think he just likes playing dress up. Maybe it was boring to there. And I'm making this sound hilarious. And in some parts it is. It's like, what the fuck is going on, you know? But anyway, they get this guy back to her place and Sugar and this man, they're sitting in wicker chairs. Now, if you know anything about me, and you probably don't know, <laughs> I grew up in, uh, I was a child of the 70s and a teen in the 80s. So in the 70s and 80s, these wicker chairs were staples in most people's homes, white, black, it didn't matter. Everybody had a goddamn wicker chair. I guarantee you, if you go into any of your parents, grandparents, you know, whatever, there's a picture of somebody sitting in a goddamn wicker chair. I don't know why. It's like they gave this shit out, like, you know, free samples of Tide in your fucking home, but everybody had one. You know, most people equate it with the Black Panthers, and that's great because, you know, you get that iconic uh, picture of Huey Newton with the chair and the spear. But everybody got these goddamn chairs. We all had them, okay? So when I saw these chairs, I lost my shit because I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is like shit at my house. So I love that the, the Wicker Chairs made it to this film because it, you know, it ties everything in and it makes it feel a little bit more real to me because I, I have sat in these chairs and I have had these chairs. So basically at this point, they're controlling this gentleman with a voodoo doll and then uh, he also attempted to shoot Baron at a couple of times. And I was like, Mofo, you shot him like at least three times. You're not going to, he's not dead. So stop shooting. What the fuck you doing? Wasting ammo. I would have saved that ammo for myself, but no, your dumbass used all of the bullets. Now you're getting voodoo dolled. Yeah. I use it as a verb. You're getting voodoo dolled. So <laughs> they get him, they, they get him in a chair. Uh, he has to use the voodoo doll. Um, the voodoo doll makes him stab himself. That's what happened. So at this point, we've got, what is it now? Three people that have died. Valentine is like, fuck this. I'm researching the hell out of this. And he goes to visit a uh, professor. <laughs> Where is this professor teaching? At the Voodoo Museum and Research History Place. That's the name of the place. I'm not making it up. And he wanted to ask him about voodoo, try to piece what's going on. And then meanwhile, the lone African-American person in this gang full of people, fabulous, he is getting so nervous as rightly he fucking should. And he's about to kick rocks and leave. If it was me, my ass, I would have already been gone. As soon as the first guy died, I was like, nope, because I'm already part of this gang and I know where this is going. So... We uh, get another victim that gets perished. Um, he berates a piano player. And then as he's about to leave, Baron and the Zombies. Shit, that's another great name for a band. Hmm, Baron and the Zombies. Anyway, uh, they accost him and Sugar uses another voodoo doll to slice this victim to pieces. 
not a whole lot of blood and gore in this and y'all know i'm a gore girl i like the more splattery stuff but i love this because it's really effective too so we only have a few more to go at this point and the professor gives valentine a bunch of books and asks and then valentine asks him if there are any um local voodoo priests in the area um which has him showing up to mama matrice's house and once he gets to her house he wants to speak with her because he feels like she would have some insight on what's going on and sugar just happens to be there you know we all know why sugar is there but he has no reason to put that together i mean i think he has a clue but not really and he wants to speak to mama matrice because of the recent attacks and because all of the attacks have connection to voodoo the baron calls himself sam the caretaker and he says he's been there forever which i thought was so cute and then mama matrice pops out like a goddamn jack-in-the-box puts her hand on valentine's face and simply states that this man is not a believer and then she hauls ass like she's taken off like she's on the way to do an olympic sprint i mean this woman was moving for a hundred year old lady she was badass and so valentine's trying to chase her down sam is like nope that's it this is as far as you go and we get morgan showing up at sugar's job again it's like this woman can't work just let me do a day's work you know so he shows up at another photo shoot and states he has the papers for her to sign he wants her to turn the club over she reads over the contract sees that he's basically trying to fuck her on the contract not like literally i mean he is literally but on the contract and then she states i know what the club is worth so you know if you want the club you need to pay and so he basically they come to a deal he says he's going to give her like ten thousand extra dollars ten thousand dollars more they agree on that and he has one of his henchmen i guess one of the few that's left to go to sugar deliver the money and his girlfriend celeste oh boy that bitch wants to know why she gets to have extra money i'm thinking okay if you're the mob guy's girlfriend your job is to shut the fuck up i didn't really care for her so i didn't care about anything that was going on with her and he kind of just ignores her uh he asks fabulous what what the local people are talking about when it comes to the killings and he tells him that it's all voodoo people think it's voodoo and he's just like yeah morgan's like whatever i don't give i don't believe in that shit and so we see the henchman at sugar's place it's a really funny sequence and i know it probably isn't to be terrifying but it makes me laugh because there is a lone chicken foot that uh basically is animated and attacks him and terrifies the shit out of him which if i saw a chicken foot just moving around i'd probably be scared of shit too but it just makes me laugh because i'm just like just throw it just throw it so the zombies come out of nowhere they take him to a room that's filled with all kind of voodoo artifacts and they basically um tell him you know that this is it for him and he gives her the ten thousand dollars thinking that he can buy his way out of it and no you can't because they have a coffin filled with snakes there's boas and probably a lot of poisonous ones in there i'm guessing and the zombies proceed to lay his ass in that coffin and sugar gives him the money and says here if you think money can buy everything you know let's see if it'll help you where you're going so he's gone he's 86th 
Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah. So after that, we get a really uh, funny scene where <laughs> we get Morgan the next day, Sugar comes over and she's like, your man never showed up with the money. So I guess the deal's off. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't think that you're going to welch on this deal. I'm getting that club. And uh, I forgot to mention when they put the guy in the coffin before we get to Morgan, the Baron cackles and laughs so much. This man loves this this part and I, I'm loving it for him. Just wanted to, to say that because a lot of times I tell people I cackle like a Macbeth witch and that's what this guy was doing. It was like really giving me joy to watch him. So Morgan's like, no, you're not going to back out on this deal. He gets a little handsy with her and then he gets a little rough and then we cut to her going to a massage parlor where I'm guessing Fabulous goes to get, you know, his rub down and basically gives this woman money to do, say she's pulling a prank on Fabulous. And he goes in there and she starts talking like real, what she, I guess, thinks is Southern. You know, baby, you know, I get a couple of girls in here. We can make it a scene. And I think he thought he was going to get a happy ending. And what he really got was Baron's brides, you know, rubbing him down and tearing him apart and, you know, him freaking out. And then when he turns around and sees that there are zombies, they proceed to choke the life out of him. So now we're down to just Morgan, the big boss, and Celeste, the shrew. And man, let me tell you, I was so glad to see these people go. You have no idea. So they're getting ready to do the last arc which is to kill the big baddie girlfriend is just a bonus because she's dumb enough to tag along and valentine is telling his boss he's literally telling his boss that i think it's going to be i think it's revolving around voodoo and in a surprising turn for most police chiefs or heads of the department he actually believes him and tells valentine to go check it out but do it quietly and i was like oh shit Somebody actually believed him and he didn't go, oh, man, you're full of shit. That's crazy. That's preposterous. He was just like, yeah, you can follow the lead. Just do it quietly. And so as he's going down the stairs, we get the scene of Sugar, Mama Matrice, and Baron, and he has a voodoo doll in his hand. And Sugar is like, do it. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, do it. And so we see him stab the doll. Valentine goes down. Bam, bitch went down. <laughs> Just say it. He goes down and falls down a flight of stairs and breaks his leg. Doesn't kill him, just immobilizes him enough that he's in the hospital and he cannot interfere or investigate anything else so they can finish this revenge thing. It was very interesting to see. She didn't want to hurt him, but she just wanted him incapacitated enough so that she could finish out the plot. And so... You know, she calls Morgan, basically tells him that the deal is off. He's like, no, I'm getting my fucking money. I'm getting my fucking club, blah, blah, blah. He shows up at Mama Matrice's house. First of all, it's in the middle of fucking night. What are you doing? What, what, what are you doing, sir? He gets there. Of course, Celeste, the bitch, has to tag along. Morgan has his gun out. He's going to handle business settle up all the murders he goes in the house scared as hell because his gun is out he's ready 
he's creeped out by everything, the shadow from the ceiling fan, the, the creaky house. Celeste stayed in the car. She's smoking and getting creeped out, you know. She's in a predominantly black neighborhood, I'm sure, as a Karen. She probably didn't want to be there to begin with. And then all of a sudden, the zombies lunge out at Morgan. They take him and they're starting to pull at him. He freaks out. Celeste is getting attacked by zombies outside and they're beating on the car and breaking the windows. Morgan is trying to find a way out. And then we get that wonderful horror trope of a cat that comes out of fucking nowhere <laughs> that jumps on top of this man. And as we see that, he's like, fuck it, I'm out. And he goes out the window. He just like bails ass out the window, running through the woods, has no idea where the fuck he's going and didn't go and check on Celeste, mind you. He didn't give a shit about this bitch. He runs and Sugar confronts him. Baron is out there with the zombies. He happens to fall into quicksand. And now Sugar, Mama Matrice, and Baron watch him drown in the quicksand. And the revenge is now complete. I cannot tell you how satisfying it was to see this. So then Baron wants to know, now that she's destroyed all of them, what should we do with Celeste? Because now the zombies have taken her out the car and brought her where they are. And Sugar is like, well, you can do whatever you want with her. And he's like, yeah, that's a good way to end our deal. I'll go ahead and take her. I would rather have you because, you know, he's a thinking man and Sugar is way, way hotter. But I'll, she'll do for now. I, I would much rather have you, but I'll take her with me. And he picks her up and takes her back to the land of the dead to be his new bride slash plaything. And then she tells Mama that she can rest now. And then Sugar just stands there looking so fucking triumphant and so satisfied of what she's accomplished. Once again, this movie is a fucking banger. Marky Bay just gives such a commanding performance. And I mean, honestly, who wouldn't use any powers necessary to get revenge on people that harmed the one that they loved? I mean, like I said at the beginning, Eric Draven came back from the dead to dole out justice. So I, for one, love Sugar Hill because we have a woman of color protagonist who grieved. She went through that grieving period and then she doled out punishment in like the best fashion. I also like the fact that when that white jumpsuit with the red trim came out, you knew it was fucking go time. She looked cool and badass holding the shackles that her ancestors wore. And she herself became beautiful vengeance. So this movie is top tier, one of the best black exploitation horror films. And if you haven't seen it and you listened to this whole thing, what the fuck were you doing? Go and watch it and then come back and listen to it. I've just ruined it. Now, I do also want to note, if you are a hip hop fan, or even if you're not, if you know of MF Doom, he actually um, used a lot of clips from this film under um, his King Ghidorah persona for his album, Take Me to Your Leader. And this movie was made by American International Pictures. It's also the production studio behind Blackula and Scream, Blackula Scream. So this wraps up my review of the horror exploitation classic, Sugar Hill. Now, 
I love to see a woman of color, large and in charge in horror flicks, and it warms my little Southern zombie soul. So as always, thank you for listening. Let me know if you have seen this one and what you think about it, your thoughts about it. And if you haven't, you've already listened to me spoil it, but go watch it because me telling you about it is not the same as really enjoying watching every frame of this fucking film. So I'm so excited to bring you all of the Blacktober goodies this month. Hope that you're all thriving and shifting into fall and also horror mode. I mean, that's my mode 24-7 year-round. But my only rant, I guess, hmm, if you make a deal with Baron Samadhi, or Samadhi, (laughs) still fucking it up, if you do make a deal with him, Bring some kind of tribute to cover your asses because, you know, he might want your ass. So you might want to bring bring a friend or an enemy that he can have in, in your in your stead. But I guess, you know, I don't really have any rants. I just look forward to bringing you some some black horror movie classics in my humble horror nerd opinion. And I guess I will leave you with until next time. Just listen out for my voice in the darkness, and I will talk to you then. Bye.